Hello and welcome back to the Talk with Chef Michael. I'm your host, Mike Silverstein. And guys, we got a lot to talk about today. I love our guest. This guy is super inspirational and has a lot of wisdom to share. But before we get started, let me give you just a little bit of information. If you want more information about this podcast or any other episode of the podcast, go to chefmichael.com slash podcast. And that's chef-michael.com slash podcast. And if you want to get our bonus episodes, get some free stuff and help support the podcast and keep the lights on, go to patreon.com slash chef Michael. You can join our membership and get monthly content as well as these kind of free bonus episodes that come with the membership. So please uh, join me there at patreon.com slash chef Michael uh, for all that extra good stuff. And of course, thank you so much to our sponsor for sponsoring this episode and the entire first season of my podcast, Redmond Real Salt. Thank you guys so much. Look, you guys know if you watch uh, anything that I really do on Instagram or otherwise, I use Redmond Salt in all of my food. I genuinely think it's the best salt in the business. Um, not only does it just taste good because I'm kind of a salt addict, but it's actually made from these dried up ancient seabeds that are found here in the US, in Utah. They mine it right out of these crazy mines. Um, it's 100% natural. It's packed with electrolytes and 65 trace minerals. So when we talk about the importance of electrolytes and a ketogenic diet, this is a great way to get in uh, all those other salts other than sodium into your body. Magnesium and pot potassium are just two of them. They're so important, but there's over 65 trace minerals in Redmond salt. So go to redmond.life. That's redmond.life, not.com, where you can put an order together, get 15% off with discount code Chef Michael. By the way, they have other cool stuff too, not just salt. I use their toothpaste. I say this every episode because it's just true. And of course, you can also find Redmond salt at almost every grocery store in the country now, which is pretty cool. So you can just go to the uh, like the spice aisle at your grocery store and pick up a bottle or a bag of Redmond salt as well. I personally use the fine sea salt. Um, so thanks again to Redmond for sponsoring this episode. All right, now time to dive right in. Our guest today is awesome. I'm very much looking forward to chatting with him today. So before I let him on the stage, I'll give you a quick rundown. Started as a pro BMXer, BMX biker, had three, I believe, and I'll have him verify all this for me, but three bouts of brain cancer and has turned his life around and is now a public speaker and kind of like you know, coach, expert, podcaster, you name it. The guy is amazing. Um, he's also pretty studied in the ketogenic diet and nutritional space as well. So we'll see where the conversation goes. As always, I have no pre-written questions or plans for this. We're going to dive in and see where the talk takes us. What's Yo, up? what's up, man? What's going on, man? Just getting after it, you know, I know you've read nice. after it probably two times as long <laughs> as I've been today. <laughs> ah, that's why that's why i have coffee yeah there you go <laughs> what time do you get up well, today? welcome 2 30 bright and early nice <laughs> i uh, bright and early walked uh walked five miles already today ready to go and cooked a recipe wrote a recipe i'm yeah i'm having fun i like it i like it <laughs> it's awesome um hold on i just want to make sure you're actually recording okay yeah you are recording before we like <laughs> dive in too deep and end up missing some good stuff but yes you are recording uh thanks a lot for doing this by the way i appreciate it 
Yeah, I know. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to to chat some more and to uh, get into the uh, the deep conversations as we discovered we both love on our last phone call. Yeah, I I, uh, I don't have anything planned. Like, I don't have any questions planned or anything. I'm just we're just gonna roll. That like I I don't think we need it. Yeah, I agree. I love so, it. Uh, we've had some pretty cool conversations, old school style, on the telephone. Uh, you've been actually a big source of inspiration for me. So I'm, I'm very happy to have you here and I want to welcome you uh, to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to have another conversation and you know, what an honor to uh, have those words shared with me. Cause that's, I mean, that's my mission in life is just to share something, uh, a new perspective and see what it can do for the other person on the receiving end. So I'm, uh, I'm grateful to know my words have, uh, provided some value to you. Uh, yeah, they really have. And, uh, excuse the coffee. I, I live on this stuff. No, no, you're great. I, I love <laughs> coffee. So is my girlfriend. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, you know, before we really dive in, because uh, as our conversations have gone in the past, uh, we are able to kind of just kind of talk and get and get deep about a lot of things about the world. Uh, I want to give our listeners or viewers a chance just to get to know you a little bit. So real quick, well... It's hard to ask you to real quickly tell your story because it's a fascinating uh, and and long journey to to get from point A to point B here. Um, and you've had some real ups and downs in your life, uh, professionally and personally. But I, I would love to give you a chance to walk us through that a little bit. So uh, tell us your story. Yeah. So I guess uh, to save time for the conversation we're about to have, the long story short is, you know, I'm a kid from Cape Cod, Massachusetts, born and raised uh, chasing a dream to be, become a professional BMX athlete that, that led me to dropping out of high school with the support of my family, moving 13 hours south down here to North Carolina to chase that dream. And I made that dream happen. And along that journey, uh, I rode X Games, which was another dream come true. Uh, friends with my hero and mentor, Dave Mira, who I grew up with posters on my wall, looking at every day and uh, was just finding myself traveling the world, riding X Games, the Dew Tour, living the dream and some, uh, being paid to do what I love most in the world and share that with the world. And it came down to 2009. I was using that success to hide behind all the pain and suffering, the insecurities, um, all the fear. And lo and behold, I had a brain tumor. And that came to be from uh, a brain injury from training one day that I shouldn't say brain injury, just a concussion, which is a brain injury that led to an MRI and a year and a half up to that point, I've been complaining about these headaches, migraines, vision loss, nausea, vomiting, and denied a scan because I was being judged by my cover. You know, that old saying, don't judge a book by its cover, that almost killed me. Doctors looked at me, I was 21 years old, professional athlete, looked healthy, blood work didn't show anything, and so they denied me a scan. You know, I didn't know. I was saying CAT scan, MRI, X-ray, something. Because I knew something was wrong, something was off, and it took that crash to really look inside, and that's when they found the brain tumor. And you know, uh, three diagnoses later, I live with four brain tumors today. But I don't, I don't let that define me and my success and where I want to go. Uh, I use the vision that I'm working towards to define me and who I am and where I'm going. And that's led me to walking away from my dream on my own terms to fulfill another dream and become my purpose, which was discovered through my journey of chasing my dream. And that's to help people optimize their health and their performance in any aspect of their lives. And so what I do today through speaking, content creation, my coaching business, having conversations like this, and just being a vessel to try to provide value and inspiration to other people to look at the world differently, more importantly, look at their lives differently and see what they can accomplish when they believe in themselves. I love it. That's it's amazing. Uh, what you do is amazing. And um, I think part of your journey has been dealing with some real 
real struggles, actually. Um, and we'll kind of step back for a second because something you said was interesting. Your doctors weren't really taking you seriously. You're a 21 year old, year old pro biker. And I'm sure a doctor's like, yeah, your head hurts because you're an idiot and you're crashing your bike all the time or whatever. Like they're, they're, they're making assumptions. Uh, what did it take? It was from the concussion specifically that got you in the door with the MRI or yeah, it was getting knocked out. I'm kind of curious what it took. <laughs> it was getting knocked out and then now an MRI being necessary and actually needed required. And then that's when they accidentally found a eight centimeter long by four centimeter wide and deep brain tumor pushing into my brain. And it was because of that, that concussion. And what was the, uh, the treatment and kind of recovery process like for you? You said you have four, you've, it's come back, right? You've gotten treatments yes. and it continues to come Two back. additional diagnosis uh, yep, has led to the four that I live with today. Unbelievable. And, and how many years has this battle been ongoing for you? April 16th, 2010 was the surgery. And it was just like a week and a half, two weeks before that where I was diagnosed. So uh, this April will be 11 years. Pretty crazy. Hmm. Interesting. And yet, <laughs> um, here you are sharing positivity and light. <laughs> that That's what I think is so amazing. Uh, basically, what you do a lot of your work around is health and nutrition. But what I find really fascinating about what you teach within health and nutrition is the importance of like mindset work and mental health as much as physical health. So I want to dive into that um, a little bit with you. Uh, what's your sort of process? Because you're dealing with heavy stuff. You've been through some low lows. So how, how are you handling that? And how do you recommend somebody else handle that? Yeah. And that's, that's like you said, that's a process that's taken me many years to hone in on and become aware of. And like you said, I started out with, you know, wanting to help people with their health, you know, nutritionally and, you know, exercise, like physical health. And the entire time I was talking about implementing mental and emotional pieces, you know, the mindset, it's everything. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago where I was talking with a virtual mentor of mine who I became friends with and met in person. He actually had me on his podcast. That was the first time we met in person. And his name's Kerwin Ray. And he, the way he outlined what he was observing in me allowed me to see, oh, the mindset piece, it was last for me to click in my awareness, but it's been here the whole time. My family started me off that way. BMX taught me that indirectly and directly, and then my own health and um, you know other challenges in life. And so the last three years, that's kind of what I've gone all in on. And I've just taken that approach to become aware of it and to learn more and expand on it, but to be able to share it. And so the two things that come to mind on like a surface level that really helped me get to where I am today and where I'm going and what I can do to help other people is, is one, this concept of are you at cause or are you at effect for your reality? And I believe in this so much that I actually got, got tattooed right in my hand. You know, being at cause is greater than being at effect. That's the equation for empowerment. And so what helped me adopt that concept and go all in on it and live that was when I was diagnosed with a brain tumor, that was the first time in my life I ever perceived fear for my life, like not fear of being judged or fear of failing or something like that, but literally my life being taken from me. But that was just information that came in. I Nothing had changed other than information. Now, fast forwarding to the surgery where there was real threat to my life. I was about to be put out. I was about to give my life or I was giving my life to the hands of strangers, essentially a surgeon and his team. There was real threat to my life there. I could have not woken up one day. I could have become paralyzed, all these things. But there was something in that moment that allowed there to be no room for fear in my mind. I wasn't aware of it at the time, but on reflection, it makes so much sense. So 
the second piece that I live my life by was I was focused on the vision of my mind. And I talk about this all the time. What you can dream up, what you can think up, what you can visualize in your mind is going to be more compelling than your circumstances. And that is what gets me through mm. any obstacle, any challenge. Doesn't matter what it is. It's okay to feel we're humans. That's something that I've had to process as well. It's okay to accept that I'm a human being and I'm going to feel this way. The difference of that affecting your life and the way you want or the way you don't want is how you identify with it. And if you if you say, you know, I'm this, I'm X. No, you feel X. That doesn't mean that's who you are, what you are. And so it comes back to the concept. Are you at cause or are you at effect? And that's not to say things don't happen out of our control. We have no control. We have a higher probability of controlling the outcome from our life if we do X, Y, and Z that's congruent with what we say we want. But in that moment, it was right. this this is the the car, the 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 hand of cards that I'm dealt right now. This is what I have to work with. I can choose to give into that fear, to believe that I'm not gonna wake up or I'm not gonna be able to continue life how I want. Or what I did was focus not on what if, what will be true for me when I wake up. What will I do? And thankfully I had a bunch of videos for me riding, which was my passion at the time. It's my obsession. And I just kept visualizing that on the screen and in my mind and asking myself, what am I gonna do differently when I wake up? And I wasn't aware of this, but I just somehow learned this along the way. Not what if I don't wake up? What will I be doing? How will I improve when I wake up? So it just comes back to that, that concept of, are you at cause for your reality that doesn't dismiss things that are out of your control, but it puts the, the power in your hands of how you respond and then focusing on the vision of what you want to be true rather than what you don't enjoy in this moment. Right. Which, you know, it, it makes perfect sense to me, but as, and I'll use myself as the example, I'll be the guinea pig here for a second. So I am a control freak. Okay. I, I've, I, I have to be kind of my own boss, my own, you know, nobody tells me what to do. And that includes like my own mind too. Um, I get very flustered when, my plans don't come to fruition, you know, like I'm constantly kind of battling with my controlling nature um, over myself more than other people. But um, it, I guess knowing what you're saying, I know in my heart what you're saying to be true because I have had those experiences. But practically speaking, we can tell ourselves as much as we want. I can know for a fact that I should be focusing on I will do this tomorrow and not worry about what I'm not in control of today. But sometimes emotionally that feels impossible or, or impractical, you know? So I guess my question for you is practically, what are some things that I can do on a daily basis? I hear a lot of what you're saying involves self-talk and sort of self-identity and, and self-talk practically. How can I work on that myself? And hopefully this might help somebody listening as well, because I need to do this more myself. For sure, for sure. And that's the thing about affirmations that I dislike. There's a context to doing affirmations in my mind correctly. Because if you say, I'm going to do this, or I am this, but everything in your environment tells you, the feedback tells you you're wrong, you're going to feel the opposite of what you want. So you could say, I am healthy, I am abundant, I am rich, I am strong, all these, I'm confident, all these things. But if you don't feel that, that's what we call incoherence. The mind and body aren't aligned. And that's why I don't like affirmations unless done properly, because you can say all you want, but until you feel it, nothing's gonna change because it's conflicting with your identity, which is subconscious. 95% of who we are and how we operate is an unconscious perspective or unconscious program, I should say. So when it comes right. back to what you're suggesting or what you're working on, 
the first thing we can do to be practical is understand what it is we're experiencing and where that's coming from. So when you say I'm controlling to me, which I, I, I still am overcoming control of different aspects of my life, but it comes back from a sense of fear, the, the deep rooted issue or problem that's creating the sense of control is fear in some way, in some capacity. So the first thing hmm. you can do is you can ask yourself, okay, I need to control my schedule. Okay, one empowering question you can ask yourself and you can ask yourself, or you can ask yourself a hundred times until you get to a higher intention. For what purpose do I want to control this? Or if you're having a goal, you're going to have to go, for what purpose do I want that to be true? An example of this is, you know, we could say, oh, I just, I want, you know, $100,000 this year. Okay, cool. For what purpose? Well, because then it's going to allow me to do this. Okay, well, what is allowing you to pay your bills and have some money in the bank? For what purpose? And it may come back to a sense of like security and confidence. And then you go, okay, when did this show up in your life? This problem of feeling insecure or incompetent or incompetent, I should say, things like that. So if you can decide or take the time to really ask yourself these questions, okay, for what purpose do I want X? Do I want Y? You know, what is this problem trying to teach me? And then you can ask yourself, you know, this is, this is a journaling exercise I actually use with myself and my clients that was shared with me. And it, it pulls all these things out of your unconscious mind, but it comes back from some time in your past, something happened, you made a meaning about it because your prefrontal cortex was still a third or a half away developing and you couldn't make logic sense out of it. So you made a meaning that, for example, if you're 10 years old and you want to get a Hershey's bar and you see John down the road, he's getting a 12 pack and your parents say, no, we can't do that. You may make a meaning, well, John gets it, I don't, so my parents don't love me, or I'm not good enough, or money doesn't grow on trees, we hear these things, we can't buy you a Hershey's bar right now because we don't have the money. So you make an internal representation of that event because your prefrontal cortex isn't able to make logic out of it, and then that becomes a dialogue you have with yourself at an unconscious level. And then over time, all these experiences that are similar just get compounded. And it gets to a point where you're, you know, 35, 40 years old, and you have this limiting belief that you're not good enough, or you're operating from negative emotions around fear, guilt, and shame, that's clouding your vision in terms of how you move forward and what you think is possible or true for yourself and for your life. So the, the key objective here is any problem you're experiencing, any struggle, any obstacle, the, the key is to get down to the limiting belief or the negative emotion. And that's a process that takes time. It takes a lot of either journaling or meditation or having other conversations with people that can hear what or you're therapy. saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's so many different tools, but the main idea is yeah. to get down to the root. And the best way I can uh, paint a picture of this is if you think of like a tree, you have the roots, you have the tree itself, and then you have, let's say it's an apple tree. You have the apples. So when you say, I have this problem, that's the tree. That's a presenting problem. The evidence may be your bank account, for example, money is just an easy one because everyone can relate to it. Your problem is I don't have enough funds. That's the tree itself. The evidence would be your bank account's low. You're behind on bills. You don't have the things you want. That comes down to a root of a limiting belief that this is the most common one I've seen in myself and I see in other people I work with, I'm not good enough. Somehow that limiting belief started when you were younger, you saw it, you modeled it, it became your code unconsciously. Now you're aware of it and you don't like it, but it's the root cause of your problem and your evidence is what you see in your life. Um, so does that make sense before I move on? Well, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. A lot. <laughs> no, I know. And that's like, I, there's so many things I want to say right now, but to your point about this, we, you actually uh, helped me identify something and this is a perfect sort of uh, example, I guess I'd say. So um, a couple weeks back, you were 
Oh no, I think I lost your audio. Oh, sorry. I muted myself so I could take a drink. So I didn't oh, cool. <laughs> it just threw me off. <laughs> My bad. That's cool. Um, yeah, that's great. Uh, so a few weeks back we were talking and I was basically telling you, look, man, I know I need to integrate exercise. Okay. Now, and this isn't about exercise. I'm, I'm going to get back to our point here and you know where I'm going with this, yeah. but I want to give the context. So I basically lost a bunch of weight on keto. It was never through exercise. It was all dietary, but exercise has been sort of like this, like this wall for me. I know I need to do it for health. Even if I didn't need to do it specifically for weight loss, I know I need to do it for health. I'm in my mid thirties. It's time I kept more exercise and body movement into my regimen. But this is what I said to you. I hate exercise. I'm never going to be an athlete. I've never been athletic. You know, um, it's just not my thing is like some of the language that I was using when I was talking to you. And I believe that I still, well, I don't want to say I still believe it this moment because I've been working on it thanks to a lot of the words you told me. But this has been a, a fact in my life, essentially, as how I saw it. I didn't consider this as anything other than just written history for who is Michael. Like Michael's a lot of things. He's not an athlete. <laughs> okay. <Yep. laughs> I was the kid in marching band. I was the kid in drama club. I am not Michael the athlete. Okay. This has just been fact for me. Um, and I even like blame like my genetics, my family, my, my family's not particularly athletic. You know, there's nobody in my family really running or weightlifting. Um, and then you stop me. And, and I'll kind of let you kick into how this might connect. But basically, you pointed out to me that there's something going on behind that discussion and that it's not that I'm not an athlete. That fact that I've decided for myself is based on absolutely no truth. I sort of wrote my own destiny and turned it into truth. And now for the first time in my life, I'm exercising every day. And for me, that means walking. Okay. I'm walking four and a half, five miles every single morning, Monday through Friday. Uh, if not, if it's raining outside, I'm doing a rowing machine, uh, that I bought on Amazon, but this is the first time in my life that I'm exercising and I'm actually having fun doing it. Am I a bodybuilder? No. <laughs> Could I be? I mean, I guess if I really wanted to, it's not my passion, particularly, like I, you know, whatever, that's fine. But you single-handedly sparked something within me that has already changed my life to just a little bit because I was staring at this big tree, this tree sticking out of the ground that was 10 feet, 10 stories tall that said, I'm a lot of things, but I am not an athlete. I dislike exercise. It is not for me. But what you helped me realize is that there's something behind that. So, so let's, let's dive into that. And I hope that that kind of helps realize it for me. Cause what I realized were the roots underneath of that were a feeling kind of going back to this feeling that I'm like this, like chubby kid that I was in school or whatever, the feeling of being small, the feeling of being not worthy. And so by avoiding that part of my life and that part of my story, it was easier for me to just say, nah, I'm not going to. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I can cook. I can play piano. I can write music. You know, I can, whatever it may be. I'm not lacking in confidence overall as a person, but it was a box yep. at which I shoved everything away. And, and I think behind it was a serious feelings of inadequacy that stemmed from childhood. Yep. And yeah, I mean, I'm getting a, a little, a little vulnerable about this, but it's just, true and and we have to get a little vulnerable about this vulnerable about this type of stuff if we want to be honest about what's happening to ourselves 
So, uh, yeah, I, I totally, totally get your reference of the tree. You didn't give it to me in that language. This is the first time I've heard you use the language of that visualization. But you are 100% right. And your very simple approach to this um, has been really working for me in, in, in coordination with getting therapy and other things where I'm working on um, unpacking who I am and being okay with that, you know? Mm. That's amazing. I mean, it's an integrated process. And that's the first thing I sure. tell my clients. This is a do with process as well. Like I'm not, I can't do anything for you. You're the one doing it. I can just help no, pull things out of you. Um, and something you said that is so profound, which limits us is it wasn't easy. It was uncomfortable. That's the biggest reason why we don't mm. change as human beings because it's uncomfortable and familiar to the body. And then when the body feels something, which are emotions, the language of the body, it signals the brain to think the way we're feeling. And then that becomes more of an affirmation to our internal dialogue, which is the code or identity of who we believe we are, which acts as a filter, which blocks us from the potential we have. And now something what I said earlier wasn't very practical now that I think of it, because I have something even more practical. One, read the book Atomic Habits, anyone that's interested in changing from the inside out. Now, the practical piece that I took away from Atomic Habits by James Clear, which is a fundamental book of creating change in anyone's life that anyone can understand, is something we've been talking about is the identity piece. Now, something practical that I want to mention about this is start with the outcome. Start with the goal you're going after, whether it's to lose weight, gain more money, have a relationship, become more educated. doesn't matter. Whatever it is you right. want to be true about your life, start there. And then go to the beginning place, which is the core. Think of the attributes of who you must become or change into that's going to manifest that outcome and maintain it. So when I'm talking about identity, I'm talking about your thought process, your belief structure, your emotions, and then your behaviors, which is moving to the middle ground. So you have identity at the core. That's who you are, your, 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 your mindset, your emotional being, your belief structure, like how you see the world. Think of that as lenses of how you see. We all see it differently. Depends on our past experiences and what we saw. So think of core first. Outline literally every thought that you want to have on a daily basis in terms of like, do you want to think you know, positively? Do you want to think optimistically? Do you want to think creatively? Do you want to think empowered? You know, and then the emotions. Do you want to feel energized? Do you want to wake up feeling ready to go, inspired? Do you want to feel unstoppable? Do you want to feel confident? Do you want to feel happy? Do you want to feel healthy? Think of those attributes and then move into the middle ground, the systems and processes. Okay, we have this mm -hmm. avatar of who we can become, who we want to become. What does that person do every day? More times than not. Does that person get up and go for a walk or go to the gym or go play some sport or go on a bike ride? Do they move? Okay, do they eat well? What kind of conversations is that person having? Who is that person hanging out with? What does the environment look like on a daily basis? That, that can also lead to the, the change. And then by doing doing that, getting really honed in on who it is that your identity you want to become and must become, and then the process and systems to get to the outcome you want, by nature, you'll have a higher probability of creating that outcome. We can't say it's going to be exact because we have no control. You know, and it, this is a very dramatic example, but I could walk out and cross the street and get hit by a bus. I don't know that. I've been through some shit that I never thought I would, um, but I'm here. So it's like getting really honed in on the type of person you want to become that does the things that you must do to have those outcomes, that is going to give you a higher probability of having the outcome you want. And it's going to speed up the time and time in terms of where you are now and where you're trying to go. So that's, that's a really practical way of thinking about it. It's the reason why I'm saying this is because most of us think of like, this is what I want. What little bit can I do to get all of that? 
what about me do I not have to change to do that, to have that? Yeah, sort of the, the easiest, quickest you know, solution to everything, of course. Because change is uncomfortable. But sure. if we can get familiar with that feeling and understand that's a sign of change. When you feel uncomfortable, when you feel resistance to things, that's because all of the energy and what you want is bound up in that resistance. It's bound up in that journey. That's why we don't do things that we want to do or know we need to do to have the life that we want because we're unfamiliar and uncomfortable. And that signals stress, which signals fear, and that is a measure of saving your life. You can think about what you want all day long and it could be you know, pleasurable, but that doesn't have the same meaning to your life being preserved as fear and stress do. It's a hardwired you know, mechanism we have from you know, our caveman days, you know, our monkey brain, whatever you want to call it. And so that's, sure. that's, that's one thing is to get understanding of that and to accept that and think about what you, you know, who you need to become and what you want to do moving forward. And one more thing. And, and kind of taking about, small steps towards that. Yes. That's the next thing I was going to go. He talks about in the book, it's like boats. You don't need to be perfect. So many of us get caught up in perfection. It's not about being perfect. Mm. It's about a majority vote every day to the life that you want to live and the person you want to become that has that life. So one day you could just feel, you know, maybe you feel depressed. Maybe you feel tired. Maybe you feel uninspired. That's okay. But if you got out of bed, recognize that. That's one step closer. If you put your shoes on and went out for a walk instead of going to the gym, instead of running, that's one step further. If you decided to catch yourself and reframe your thought process and be like, oh, this is just my past self trying to emerge again because it's I'm changing. I'm what Dr. Joe Dispenza calls. I'm in the river of change. It's flowing. My old self's going to come back up and try to protect me moving forward because it's unknown. Catch yourself. That's another win. It's not about being perfect. It's about getting a majority of vote as much as you can every day. That's going to lead you further and further to where you want to go. Right. You you literally just hit the nail on the head with me. So my personality type, I, I mentioned sort of having a controlling nature, but also I want to be like the best at everything I do, not in a competitive way, like the best compared to somebody else, but the best for me, anything that I do, I put like a hundred million percent at it. And if I am not immediately like feeling like I can do that at the best level, then I feel like I'm the worst at it. And therefore I kind of run away from it. And so when you're talking about perfection, this has been my entire life of trying to be perfect. And if I'm not perfect at something, I am very quickly out the door. And I think what, you know, just tying this back to what, to our discussion on, on me getting some exercise in because I'm not, or have never been a marathon runner because I would walk into a, a gym and see, you know, the guy with crazy muscles and stuff. And I, it, it made me feel like, oh, I'm not that. So I don't belong here, you know, because I'm not, you know, a, a, a number one, high school athlete, I decided that, well, I'm just never going to be athletic. And the idea that I don't have to be perfect to be good or just to enjoy something is really something new to me, I guess I'd say, you know, even with cooking, even with everything that I do, I want to be the best possible. And I'm very hard on myself if I'm not perfect. Now, I, I only say this to reiterate your point that Learning to release the expectations of perfection is an unbelievable, liberating decision in your life. It's something that I'm still working on today and is so valuable. I don't have to be, uh, 
<laughs> Usain Bolt to enjoy taking a walk in my neighborhood, <laughs> which it sounds funny to say, you know, but it's true. And that's, that's a new shift for me. That is me in the river of change or whatever you said. Uh, that is like a very new thought process for me. And it's been liberating, absolutely liberating. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, that's, I think that's what you said reminds me of what I went through that got me to where like everything you said about control and hundred percent or like all in or all out, all these meetings you've made about it, like gotta be perfect. It got you to where you are and it got you to be as successful as you are and impacting the lives that you've impacted. It was same, same or similar for me, like all of the fear and the spite and the anger I was operating off of, it saved my life and it got me to where I got in my BMX career, living my dream. But it only served me up until a certain point. And I had three, I call them wake-up calls, all the, the brain tumor diagnosis were, were moments trying to wake me up and teach me, okay, you can operate from fear, from anger and spite. It can feel you, but it's not going to be sustainable. And what I learned was perspective of gratitude and love for myself and for others in the life I live is going to push me, catapult me forward. And so something I want to highlight in what you just said is like all of those attributes, they're not like, they're not bad. As humans, we are right. meaning-making machines. We deem this as good, so then that must be bad. That we have up, so that must be down. Hot, cold. Like We internalize everything based on our lens of the world that we give meaning to it. That becomes our code, and unless we're aware, that only gets us so far. And then we're going to continue these feedback loops and cycles of like, oh, I got to do more. Oh, I didn't do it well, so I guess you know, I'm a fuck up and like all this and make meaning out of it. And that distorts right. our possibility. And so for me, it got to a point where I was like, man, like, all these negative emotions and living beliefs and trying to prove people wrong, trying to you know hide my own insecurities only got me so far. And then now that I've accepted them, I've acknowledged them. It's a difficult thing to do to admit like, you know, your ego is not who you are. It's, it's a protection mechanism. And to break through that is going to be painful. It's going to be uncomfortable. You have to recognize the things that you've been ignoring about your insecurities. You have to admit them. You have to accept them because as soon as you do, you give yourself the power to reframe them. And instead of beating yourself up over about being a perfectionist or being angry or feeling guilt or shame, what was I to learn from this? How did this get me to where I am today? And hone in on that attribute that is you at your core. It's not the ego. And that The ego is what we refer to as me or I or say our name. Like That's a veil. Our true self is beneath that. The ego projects to protect us. So we can look at our true self. That includes our insecurities. That, in, that includes our best attributes as well. And we get really clear on why it is we want to do something and ask ourselves, for what purpose do I want to become a successful person? And if it's coming back to baggage, which is limiting beliefs and negative emotions, especially if it has to do with people that we don't care about, that we're afraid of judging us, <laughs> we just need to reframe it. And so when, when I'm working with someone or even myself, it's like, okay, I want this. For what purpose? And as long as I'm digging deeper and being authentic with myself and genuine, I can distill now um, that to a point where I can find an insecurity. Oh, this happened to me in the past. It made me feel this kind of way. I don't want to feel that kind of way anymore. So I'm going to do right. this. And that's going to, that's external. Right. That fizzles out. Right. So I, well, and, and I was going to say something to that extent. You're, you're making my mind go crazy because I actually have been working a lot with myself and, and with others around the power of the gray area 
um, which is funny because your podcast is called Gray Matters and we'll get to that in a second. But I think there is so much beauty in the gray area. I used to be a very binary thinker, like you said about the machine, like everything's either good or bad. I'm either good at something or I'm bad at it. I'm either happy or I'm miserable. Um, and, and a lot of like society teaches us to think that way. But in fact, like I can be both confident and insecure and I can use both of those things as crossovers. In other words, the insecurities that I might have in me on one hand might make me feel small in certain scenarios. On the other hand, maybe my motivating factor of what makes me work so hard and get up at 2.30 every day because I want to prove it to myself that I'm not small. And so kind of using both of those as a tool and understanding like there's beauty in that gray area. There's beauty in sort of the uh, the nonsensical nature sometimes of our personalities and how it doesn't always make sense. Uh, I think a lot of people, you know, know for a fact in other people, in other words, with your friends, family, partners, loved ones, I know when I see, like, I know my friends and my partner's flaws and I know their, their, their assets and I love both. Like I've, I've fallen in love with the imperfections just as much as the perfections. And we as people have an easier time doing that for other people in our life. But we have a very hard time doing that for ourselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's very hard to love our own imperfections. That is a big, big, big challenge. And it's something that I think a lot of people, including myself, need to work on because there's beauty in the gray area. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you, you know Sean Wells, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, him and I did like a three hour podcast for the Great Matters podcast the other week. And we talked about that. And he said, you know, he gave a talk at KetoCon and it was, you know, something that I took from it was like, my broken is my beautiful. And him and I mm. relate similar journeys with our health and, you know, our brain and things like that. And it's what you just said is everything. Like once you can understand who you are in any capacity and love yourself and appreciate yourself, which is uncomfortable. It's it's not the easiest thing. Like I, I may sound confident in what I'm saying about yeah, just understand your insecurities, accept them, and move on. It's not easy. I've been I've been doing this for years. So I, I hired a coach to help me yeah. for a year now, and it's got me to this point where I'm confident saying that because the more you do that, the more you shed layers of your ego that protect you from looking at yourself. It's not an easy thing to do, especially if you're new to this concept of like, oh, what are my flaws? That, that, you're going to feel pain. You're going to feel some kind of discomfort. And it's easier yeah. to do that with other people because it's not ourselves. We can judge other people. There's no, you know, we give context to that. Uh, we give meaning to that word. It seems to be negative mostly, but judging is just a human trait. It's your conscious and unconscious brain bouncing around information. But it's easier to judge other people, especially like there's an analogy someone posted on Twitter about like, yeah, it's so easy to judge the other team besides your own team. Like you're going to stand up for your team, but like you can point out all the reasons why that team shouldn't have done well or won or why they're bad. Right. It's uncomfortable. Right. And I think if that's what, if people can start there and recognize it's like the predictable versus unpredictable condition, like that concept, if you can understand, right. Hey, this journey is going to be a little bumpy. You can do it though. Other people have done it. You know, people that look like you that come from where you're from that want to do some like, It'll be okay. But to know what lies ahead makes it easier to accept when that speed bump does come, when that roadblock does come, because it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be fun. Maybe once you're, you yeah. know, where, where, where I feel like I am now with like, I have no problem looking at my insecurities. Like, please tell me because I want to work on them because I know what I'm working towards in my mind. And it's a vision of contribution to the society. 
And it's been a minute. I've been on this journey for a minute. And I think that what you just highlighted is everything. Looking at yourself, think of it as loving yourself enough to want to change and to want to recognize your flaws because we're humans. Everyone has them. The best in the world that whatever they do will say that same thing. Yeah, I, I think that loving yourself enough is really uh, important. And, and that's going to kind of, I'm going to pivot a little bit here, but it's related. So uh, when we talk about mindset, so, so right now we're talking a lot about sort of mindset and internal work and mental health almost. Um, how does this translate to medicine? In other words, <laughs> you've been through quite, and I don't want to make it specific about say cancer or brain tumor, but how is the power of mindset going to actually impact a journey to health, whether that's through illness, through weight loss? Is this something that you've been studying or talking a lot about? And like, like I kind of want to dive into this a little bit because I think it's fascinating, the power of the mind. Like we know in science, I've always been, and I'm not well studied in this, so I don't even have the right language around it, but I think it's unbelievable. We, we hear a lot about the placebo effect in regards to like, is the medicine actually working? But the fact that our brain will actually heal us just because it thinks it got medicine, there's something here. There's something yep. really happening here. Um, so I guess specific to your journey, but also broadly speaking, as you coach people in, in health and nutrition, um, obviously outside of cancer, how the hell is our brain and our mindset and our and our mental well-being actually affecting our health? Yeah, from my understanding and my researching this over the years, it, it has to do with our brain makes chemicals or it triggers other parts of our body to make chemicals. Like that's, you know, um, hormones and like all of these different um, different chemicals and their different names. Like they, there's a concept called epigenetics and your brain can think in a manner that produces chemicals and will allow you to feel the way you're feeling. And at a cellular level, that signals our genes to express themselves one way or another. Um, again, there's no right or wrong. There's just, it just, there is. And that's like, I have a, a deep fascination lately for Buddhism and reading more about Buddhism because they have a similar meaning or a similar perspective. Like there is no meaning to life other than accepting that life is to find meaning and the meaning of life is to live. Like it's a really interesting dynamic than um, good or bad. It's just, it's just information. You internalize it and it's either going to work for you or it's not. So when we're thinking about our mind and why the placebo effect can be a thing is because if you believe something, that's going to change your neurology and that's going to trigger the other parts of your body to produce chemicals differently. They're going to interact with one another on a cellular level differently and it's going to change things one way or another. And the, the first time I learned about this was Dr. David Perlmutter's book, Grain Brain. And I read that, I think, 2013, 14. He talked about this concept of epigenetics and why low-carb eating is so profound because you're reducing levels of glucose and that therefore is reducing insulin levels. And then when you have that, other mechanisms are triggered and it all affects your cells on a different standpoint than where you do before. So things like inflammation and cortisol and you know the stress chemicals, adrenaline and cortisol are very profound in what they do to your body. And so that's, that's my basic understanding so far. It's like our brain creates chemicals. That's what medicine is. It's a chemical. You, you ingest this chemical, it right. signals different things, but ketones and glucose, they do the same thing. And your mind can do the same thing. And that's what Dr. Joe Dispenza's work's all about. He's like, you know, you can have, let's say someone like, let's say you won a contest, that feeling you generated, that was an outside external thing, information, that you internalize and your brain made chemicals so you felt that way. What's cool is we can do that in our minds. We can meditate, we can visualize, 
that does the same thing. And he actually wrote a book um, called You Are the Placebo. And it talked about this concept. And his thing is making the woohoo, um, you know, scientific, making, what does he say, demystify the mystical. And that's where all of his brain scans. And I mean, Dr. Ryan Lowry does a lot of this work too. Dr. Daniel Amen with spect imaging. Like we look at all these different elements of the brain, the basic level, it's just producing different chemicals and that interacts with the rest of our body. And that's why we can feel one way or another based on our thought process. And so obviously there's very severe cases where medicine is needed and it can be an integrative tool course that our mind is the most powerful tool we have well and and they can work together too exactly and and the mind and nutrition which i guess um just a curiosity on your journey uh through your battles with your uh with your health um were you using a low carb or keto approach uh or through the whole time or is that a more recent thing in your life and 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 kind of dive into that a little bit did did you feel like you were using that as a tool for your health? So long, long, uh, yeah, long answer short is yes, but that, that came in time. So first tumor diagnosis, surgery, April, 2010, that was the first, uh, tool that I used modern medicine. And then a friend shared a documentary on Netflix about nutrition and health. And that got me to think, so I started making changes. 2012, a routine MRI showed two mouths that had grown back because the, uh, complications, of original tumor location around the optic nerve and the artery in my brain, they couldn't risk hitting either of them because it could have uh, bled out, had a stroke, died then there, become paralyzed. Sure. So it was a residual cell growth, uh, one in the front, one in the rear. And so that led me into uh, gamma knife radiotherapy. So another modern medicine um, you know, technology. But my fascination for nutrition was growing as well. And my fascination for you know spirituality and exercise, things like that. 2013 blew up my knee at a contest that got me interested in fit, uh, physical fitness 2013 14 like that winter red grain brain and that just that just changed my entire world because that was the first time i heard about uh low carb high fat eating strategies and the word ketogenesis keto ketones any anything like that ever and epigenetics so um I like Dr. Perlmutter has been one of my virtual mentors for years. I've had the pleasure of meeting him a couple of times. It's just like, I'm like a little kid about, about him, just like in BMX and his work, like I believe saved my life. His, his book, Rain Brain just really connects blood sugar regulation and brain health performance, longevity and disease risk factors and all these things so elegantly and um, simply that I started making changes. And then you know, I got introduced to like Mark Sisson, Dr. Ryan Lowry, Mark Hyman, like in all these great, you know, work in the low carb, high fat, ketogenic area. And then all that came really uh, profound in terms of being a tool for me in 2017 in February, where I got a third diagnosis with two new brain tumors that popped up on the right side of my brain. And then in there, they told me, hey, we think this is because they're benign, but they're popping up. We think this is a genetic disorder called neurofibromatosis. And I heard genetic disorder and I instantly remembered epigenetics. I've heard Dr. Dom talk about ketones and the epigenetic factors that they have and regulating your glucose and Dr. Perlmutter's work. And I just put all the pieces together, bought a glucometer, started testing my blood, started fasting and just got really um, in tune with my macros. And then year after year, follow-up MRI, no medication, no treatment this time, no surgery, of course, nothing's progressed. And in the amount of time from the yearly MRIs that they popped up, and then a year after year, no progression, I contribute that 100% to my mind and my nutrition. So 
keto as a lifestyle was also a very profound and critical tool for me at a certain point that eliminated the need for medication, surgery, or treatment. In my case, that's not going to be the case for everyone. I want to make that really clear. Sure. But for me, sure. it helped. And other people, it's helped as well. Um, so it's it's been a part of my life now. I live this life. You know, I, I use berberine on a regular basis. I practice fasting. I use exogenous ketones, MCTs. And, you know, I just, it is... Um, a way of living for me. It's, it's saved my life and it's helped me optimize my mind at the same time. Yeah. And, and, you know, of course, I don't, I don't think anybody's saying keto cures cancer or, uh, cures tumors. I, I think it's just really an important topic though. Cause I think there's medical, uh, value to having these discussions. And I think that over time we're going to see a, a big shift, I think right yep. now. And, and I guess, I'll throw the question to you because my beliefs aren't really relevant right now, but I think that right now we see keto as this like weight loss diet thing in terms of mainstream media, media exposure. Mm -hmm. Um, it's often sort of chastised as just being like another fad diet. And in a couple of years, there'll be another one that replaces it. Um, I think we're pretty early here in the, in the cycle of what exactly a low carb a high fat diet can do for us medically speaking. I mean, they've known for a long time about some of the medical benefits with children and epilepsy, for example, which we commonly hear about. Mm -hmm. uh, what are your thoughts? Like, how do you kind of combat somebody who's like, oh, keto is just a fad diet? How do you deal with that? Uh, I first asked them why they said that and where they get their information. Nine times out of 10 people just read headlines. They don't dive into it for their own respected reasons of time, responsibilities, interests. Yeah. I happened to be a nerd and was uh, also, my life was threatened and I learned about metabolic health therapies. And so I've become passionate about it and, you know, connected with similar friends that we have in common that study this and put this information out as a, you know, mission and career in their life. Um, so when people say that stuff, I just ask them, cool, why is that? You know, <laughs> how did you come up yeah. with that conclusion? Yeah. Because there's no, yeah. nothing I can say that's going to combat that if that's their belief. Nor is that my my role, my responsibility. Nor do we it's, need that's, to. That's yeah, belief. exactly. And so I just love asking questions because when you can ask questions, you take the emotional charge out of a situation. Because if someone's like, keto's a fad, I'm like, no, it's not. It's this and that. They're, we already are disagreeing. We're going to get emotionally yeah. charged. And then information that's not equal to that is not going to make sense to us. So I just love asking. Yeah, 100%. How did you come up with that conclusion? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, we're all trying, we all have common ground. We're trying to better our lives and help other people do the same. And so when people yeah. tell me that, I just ask questions and then I share my story, my experience. You know, I just say, well, this is what it's done for me and it's done, this is what it's done for other people. And in terms of where I think it's going, like we look at Metabolic Health Summit. I think that's a really good sign of where keto is going. And it's not just coming and going. Like it's going to be here for for a lifetime. And I think that and I, I know that uh, is because of mitochondria. And this is where Sean Wells comes in and um, he really inspired me to start looking at mitochondria more. He said at KetoCon uh, 2019, KetoCon is going to be MitoCon in five years because why keto, ketogenesis, ketosis, why that state, that metabolic state is so profound in so many areas, whether it's weight loss, it's PCOS, it's epilepsy, it's diabetes, it's mental health, it's all these things. The common denominator is mitochondria being optimized. Mitochondria is what fuels our body. It's what creates energy for us in the form of ATP. It's not calories. Calories are a big part of it's it. The, uh, what did they say in school? It's the powerhouse or something. Powerhouse like of the cell. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's awesome. Yeah, I I feel that way too. Like the 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 language may change like keto mm-hmm. versus so it might have a different name to it, but this idea is not going anywhere. I think we've actually just scratched the surface to be honest. I think yeah. the medical community uh, I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like the medical community has a lot of catching up to do when yes. it comes to like overall funded, big money funded research. I think there's a long way to go in that regard. Yeah, there's a huge gray area that I don't think would be appropriate for this conversation of like money and things like sure. that backing certain things. But, you know, we have, uh, you know, like Dr. Ryan Lowry, Jacob Wilson, Dr. Dom, we got Dr. Eric Westman here in North Carolina at Duke. We got Dr. Andy Fung and Jason Fung, like all these MDs and like, at respected universities prescribing low carb ketogenic diets to their patients. Uh, I think right. that, and you got um, Verda Health, you got Volick and Finney and like their whole team leading things with, I think they're about to, yeah. if not already implementing keto and low carb strategies for therapy that's going to be funded for some kind of diabetes um, support or something like that. I don't uh, want to misspeak, but they're doing something with health insurance and low carb eating strategies as like an approved method of treatment for diabetes, I believe. And so, they, yeah, I just, I just connected with a, uh, a cardiac surgeon, um, who's like, so, so passionate about this and is like really a min- minority in his field mm-hmm. uh, of cardiology around like a high fat diet. Um, and so I, I can't wait to get him on the podcast, hopefully for season two, cause, uh, some fascinating stuff is it's catching up. It's yes. starting. These conversations are happening. It's got to start somewhere. It just feels it's got to start somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, I, I want to kind of pull this together in the sense that what I'm hearing a lot of this stuff around is mindset and diet kind of go hand in hand, right? Um, but it's a little bit easier said than done. I think um, I, I think connecting the dots can be sometimes hard for people. And I think a lot of people come to keto, they come to a low carb lifestyle, really they come to any diet, I don't care if it's Weight Watchers or whatever, you show up on day one for most people because I want to lose 20 pounds or whatever it may be. It's very kind of matter of fact. I feel like I need to lose weight. I don't like what I see in the mirror. I need to lose weight. Uh, What I think a lot of the the topics today has been kind of centered around is what's really happening behind that. So we have health and then of the body, but we also have like health of the mind and kind of what's happening underground uh, the roots or sort of the, the part underwater of the iceberg that's like a hundred times bigger than the part above the water, so to speak. Um, I guess my question for you is how do we start to kind of create a better sense of motivation for people? I, I know because I've been there. I've yo-yo dieted. Um, you know, I've been the person December 31st, like, yes, tomorrow I'm doing this, you know. Um, how do we build lasting motivation, whether that's sort of lasting over the course of a year, but even throughout the day, like I have emotional eating, I have stress eating, uh, you know, I have some of these items. So we're purely talking about nutrition and this isn't like, like I know really skinny people who emotionally eat too, you know, how do we create motivation on a day to day basis so that we can actually find our reason to stay and, and it, to me, it can't be, I want to lose weight. It, it has to be bigger than that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the two things that in what you were just saying and asking come to mind to me is turn the word motivation to inspiration rather than what motivates you, which is also a trigger, okay. what triggers us, what motivates us. That's what, that's what we want to leave. Okay. Change that to inspiration. What are, and that goes back to my questioning. I want to lose 20 pounds. So keto is going to be the way that's outcome. 
maybe a little bit of identity. So the goal, I'm gonna lose 20 pounds. I can use keto, any diet. Okay, cool. There's never reflection of identity there. The core concept of this conversation is identity. Doesn't matter what you're trying to accomplish and who you are. If you have a problem you're experiencing, therefore you have a goal. That's all goals are, is a solution to it, a problem we're feeling, a challenge, an obstacle, whatever. We have to focus on identity. It's cool to start with the target. That gives us a clear vision, but we can't like, simply just go straight to a system and process because that's going to lose its, its fuel. Motivation is just elevated energy in a moment. For whatever reason, you just feel motivated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then if you found yeah. motivation- And then it dies, you... it starts to fall off. Exactly. So if you found motivation, why are you looking for it again? You found it once, why not again? It's inspiration. Something that's inspiring you is gonna fuel you every day. And that comes back to the question, oh, for what purpose? So I wanna lose 20 pounds. Okay, cool, that's a goal. Why? For what purpose? Well, because I wanna look better. Okay, well, why do you wanna look better? Well, because I, you know, maybe I feel alone. I wanna be attractive to a person or maybe I'm just afraid of being judged. Okay, well, how's that a problem for you? Well, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Okay, well, why is that a problem? Because maybe I'm not, you know, living my full potential. How's that a problem to you? These are questions that we don't ask. And I got so far on my own and just because I, my life was being threatened, I was just forced to look at myself like this, but it wasn't until I hired my coach, which I believe is a fun, and I'm not being biased because I, I coach, but like it took me as a coach hiring a coach to get me to the next level because our ego does that. It, it allows what it can. And then once we think we get a hold of it, that's your ego. Like, yeah, I got this, this is all good. And then it's like, no, like that's that's your ego again trying to protect you, thinking that you're good enough uh, or that you're not good enough, like not letting you see it. It's like, no, you need, to, you need to have humility. So it comes back to identity. It's not about keto. It's not about the weight loss. There's something, like you mentioned, there's something beneath the surface. I, I refer to it as root. Um, it's a root cause of why that goal is meaningful to you. Once you can ask yourself these hard questions and difficult questions, which take time, may take a lot of support, whether it's therapy, it's a coach, it's a friend, it's a mentor, it, it takes getting real with why you want that. Because once you change motivation to inspiration and focus on identity and changing the attributes of how you're operating, removing the baggage so you can see clearly what's possible and what's meaningful to you, that is what creates sustainability. And I've learned this with myself. I've learned this with my clients in the past that hired me on again a year later. And I'm like, well, what happened? You had all the success. And now I know the identity never changed they were willpowering through. They're very high-performing people, very successful. I'll do whatever, you just tell me what to do. It didn't change anything about them. That's why I don't give out plans anymore. That's why I don't sell one-off products, do it for you. Like I don't do any of that because it doesn't change. I can get someone immediate results. We all can do that. But to get at the core, the identity, you have to have accountability and you have to have someone that's gonna be real and have those tough conversations with you and not be emotionally biased and they're going to be okay offending you because that's your shit. They're, char they're in charge of growing uh, or in charge of getting you to grow. They're not going to feed you the information you want because that's not going to change. That's why handouts don't work. We, there's these, this concept of like, oh, all the billionaires in the world, you just give out a million dollars to everyone, the world will be great. No, it won't because people won't change their mind. Some people will. The mass majority of people will not change their belief structure. They'll go spend all the money. The same problems are there because you can't run away from your problems. You can't achieve an external outcome to change who you are inside. It starts inside. Right. Your external world is just a reflection of your belief system. So as somebody that coaches in nutrition, what I hear you saying is the nutrition doesn't even matter until you've worked on what's inside a little bit. Is that true? 
yeah, I don't talk about nutrition with my clients first. They, they have to go through my process. And my process is from trial and error over the years with myself and my other clients that, no, I'm not going to give you what you want up front because that's not what you need. That's what a true coach does. They don't just, oh, you want this? Here's a plan. I know it's not going to work because I know better than that, but this is what you want. That's my baggage if I do that. That's me leading them into their fears. And I have, I have clients that come to me like, why aren't we talking about nutrition, Josh? Because you keep asking me about it. That's a sign that you're not ready. You have to focus on your insecurities and your, your baggage that's got you to where you are now that you say you have this problem you want to change. I can give you a clear plan to your success, but it's not going to be true success because it's not getting at your core. You know, look at it like this. Your limiting beliefs, your negative emotions, your identity. If you have any problem you're experiencing right now, think of it this way. You're in 2021 operating off Windows 95. It's not going to do you any good. You can upgrade to Windows 96. You're still going to have the same problems because we're how many years in the future now? That operating system is not going to match where you are today. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. So just, well, I, I see this all the time. I, I talked to um, an amazing woman today. She's a yoga teacher. And uh, and she was saying to me, well, you know, last year, my you know, I can't do yoga. My studio got shut down. And now I've gained weight. I feel set this and that. I feel, you know, I'm so upset. My body's not the same. I lost all this strength. I'm so down. And I said to her, well, why don't you do online classes? Oh, it's not the same thing. You know, it's, it's not the same. I want to connect with people and I miss being in the studio. And it's sort of like, I, I kind of like had to shake her a little bit and be like, wait a minute, <laughs> you can do more today than you could a year ago with virtual learning. You could connect with people in new ways. People need connection right now more than ever. But you've decided that like, I'm going to be small. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to sit here and feel bad about my body because I've lost strength and this and that. Or you could go right now. And I mean, like right now, after we talk, post on your Instagram, I'm going to do a free class or $5 class, whatever it may be. It's not about the money in this point. Uh, anybody who wants to join me is fine. And then she said, well... And this will lead to my next question. Well, I tried that last year and like I had a couple of good classes, but then like the next class I only had two people show up. And so I kind of gave up on doing virtual classes. I said, what's wrong with two people showing up? That means you connected two human beings to their health and gave them a smile. What's wrong with two people showing up? And what we were realizing as we were talking and what I was kind of pointing out to her gently was that you're scared. You're scared of putting yourself out there and you feel embarrassed when you open up Zoom and there's only two people there. And for you, that feels embarrassing. But there's nothing embarrassing about that. So this is my next question, which is that I think a lot of people get scared to be vulnerable, to, to fail. And so they don't do it at all because it's safer to just not do it than to fail in front of people that you know. And I've done this many times. I've been, part, you know, I, I'm not saying, I'm, yeah, I'm not saying I'm any better. Um, and, and some of that comes to fear. Some of that comes to insecurity. Some of that also comes to imposter syndrome, which I think we come across a lot, especially in like the internet world. Um, there's people who can like have no reason <laughs> and like, be proudly a keto coach or whatever uh, instantly because they just like really believe in themselves almost 
too much. <laughs> and there's like other people who are brilliant who stay in the shadows because they're like, I don't know, I don't have a, a PhD or whatever reason that they're giving themselves um, uh, that they're they're not relevant or whatever. They're feeling small for whatever the reason. So I'm hearing a lot of what we we're talking about, and I, and I'm I'm I myself just today saw an amazing talented human being missing an opportunity not only to help other people but to help herself because of this of this problem of this insecurity of fear of the shame of embarrassment or the shame of like what if i don't succeed or i don't have 40 people show up to my zoom call so uh i, I want to bring up this topic with you about maybe some some ways that people can work on imposter syndrome and some ways that people can work on sort of the fear of public failure, which I think holds back a lot of people. And this relates to health. It relates to nutrition, um, but it also just relates to like, everything in life in many ways. Yeah. Uh, I think the first thing to understand is, are you making it about yourself or the people and your purpose? Like you highlighted for this woman, she was making it about herself. She was afraid. It was her baggage. It was clouding her actions. That's why identity is so clear because you were pointing out a picture perfect example of a process she could implement that's new, maybe a little uncomfortable because her baggage is making it uncomfortable. She's not seeing the clear path you can see for her. That's the beauty about not being attached to emotion. Emotions are one addictive and two limiting. And that's why I tell mm. my clients not to make important decisions when they're in any kind of state that's not close to neutral, excited or angry, because it's, it's, it's not your baseline you're not gonna be thinking clearly. And so what people can do is those questions, you know, in whatever order they make sense to the information for what purpose or why I like for what purpose, because why uh, people misunderstand that sometimes where you say, okay, I want this to happen, or I have this problem or uh, this problem I want to resolve for what purpose. Um, and then, you know, if they're talking about a problem in their life, okay, how is this a problem? Cool. How is that a problem? So what this woman is explaining, well, only two people are going to show up. Why is that? How is that a problem? It's going to get you to think without your conscious brain, your unconscious self, your true self is going to come up and the person may dismiss it and say something else. But if they're honest with themselves and they're being vulnerable with you, they feel safe connecting with another human being that they can communicate with. They're going to share. Well, last time two people showed up and it just was uncomfortable because I felt like a failure. That's the root. That's the baggage that is preventing so many people like this yeah. woman from sharing so much love and value with the world. How many great artists and athletes are out there that don't think they're good enough? Like, hell, I wouldn't be in this position just these three years when I left BMX because my imposter syndrome that I was dealing with was so, so largely at effect because I identified for over 15 years as a BMX athlete. Who am I to speak? Who am I to coach, let alone charge for either of those things? I had baggage wrapped up in money. Money is just energy. But my energy going into charging or receiving money was that of guilt, shame, fear, or any kind of limiting belief around I'm not worthy. That is That was preventing me from giving value to so many people that I've impacted now. Now on the flip side, if you're going through this, those questions, for what purpose, how is this a problem, how is that a problem, and just asking yourself those questions and getting to the root. And if you can get to the root and it's a limiting belief, then you, there's there's other things we'll, we can talk about another time of just like just different journaling exercises you can do to pull more of this information out. But it's it's to look at that event and I can practically say, if you find a limiting belief or a negative emotion you're operating from, 
cool. That That's like a, a flickering light at the end of a tunnel. The closer you get, the more vibrant it is, the more clarity you have. When you can create that clarity around limiting beliefs and negative emotions that you're finding as the root, then you can ask yourself, when was the first time this showed up in my life? Go back to that event. It'll be between zero and 12 years old. That's when we're in like a hypnotic state with our brain and we're most impressionable. It's going to be similar to like that chocolate story. Oh, I wanted a chocolate bar. My parents couldn't afford it or said that we don't have time, but Johnny got a 12 pack and like, I'm not, I'm not good enough to get one or I don't, I'll never be, you know, whatever it was. Find right. that event. And then now detach yourself. Look at that event like as like a 3D model of you in that event. So you're watching your own movie. Ask yourself, one, what unconscious decision did I make in that moment? What meaning did I give to that event? It's, it's neither true or false. It's just, it is what it is. So highlight, what decision did I make? What meaning did I make of that moment? And then list all the events you can think of that compounded that and affirmed it to where you are today. If you can do that and you can reframe, I'm not worthy at seven years old because I didn't get the chocolate bar to what was, what was really going on? My parents were stressed because they didn't have money for that chocolate bar. They had to prioritize our groceries. The, the learning is there. It's going to be different for everyone. But if you could reframe a limiting belief at this, the first moment on your timeline, it could be passed down. People that you know resonate with past lives. It could be something, whatever it is, the earliest moment, reframe that situation. And then everything else up into that point is going to reevaluate itself. That will change how you feel. If you can disassociate from the emotions of that first event you find, you will reevaluate everything. And in that moment, you will feel different. And then you can create an affirmation from that limiting belief that is spun in a positive and it's a true, it's not something that's in the, in the future that you're working towards you don't have yet. Affirmations, I believe, only work when they create coherence and that's because it's not something you don't yet have. It's evidence of a past event and a learning that you've taken from it. So I'm not worthy to, I am worthy. My parents just didn't have money. Your affirmation then is, I am worthy. And that is going to fuel you moving forward. So that's like another practical exercise someone can take in the, the very short of it to reframing these, what I call just baggage. It's like, it starts out like this, a little, little bag, you put some stones in. As you get older, it becomes a backpack full of rocks that grows into suitcases hmm. you're carrying around that weighs you down. It, it never fails with my own experience and clients. When they get rid of limiting beliefs and the baggage, they feel like 10,000 pounds has been lifted off of them. That makes it so much easier to move forward into that system, that process, whether it's exercise, it's the business plan, it's nutrition, it's asking that person out, it's taking that course, whatever it is, it's creating a cookbook, it's putting yourself out there, it becomes so much easier, that is going to increase the probability of the life you want to have and what you want to be true about your life once the baggage is gone. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and, and it's also like, like I think you mentioned this earlier too, getting out of your comfort zone, kind of pushing yourself. I, I want to um, touch on something. We had we had Ryan Lowry in a previous episode, and he's like big into talking about positivity yep. work, um, which plays into this, of course. I, I think it's all connected. Um, but just to kind of play devil's advocate, I know I'll use again. I'll use myself as an example. I know I need to be more positive, right? I know I shouldn't be saying. I'm not an athlete. I'm not athletic. I know I need to be saying whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, it's like, I know I need to be more positive, but that doesn't make me more positive authentically. Right now I was, I've done a lot of work over this. I, I, I contributed to the, to the um, 
positivity summit and everything is I've been doing a lot of work over this over time, even with myself. And I hope to be able to share that with people, but sometimes being positive is a lot easier said than done. Of course. (laughs) Life is, life is hard. Um, and as somebody who's been through some real emotional struggles, you've, you've not only been through, um, you know, been through some serious health things. You've lost some very close people to your life, and and not to bring up a sad subject because that's not what this is about. But uh, for anybody listening who's been through stress, who has you know the kids screaming in the background and money is tight and your job sucks, and like how do we deal with this? Because it is it is easier said than done. Everybody wants to be more positive than they are. How did you deal with this? Yeah, and I actually I just talked to Ryan this morning before I spoke with you, so it's it's pretty funny how that works out. But yeah, it's perspective. <laughs> and Ryan and I will talk about perspective every day, all day for hours. It's what you're choosing to think about in the frame you're using and the emotions that come from it. That's like mm-hmm. it's impossible to be positive all the time. What's not right. impossible is how you choose to frame things in your life. For example, I think we spoke about this or like you said this in the clubhouse recently, you know, um I have to go to work. When you think that, you look, you use that frame to see your life. I have to do something. That's going to make you feel any which kind of way you don't want to feel. When you can change the perspective, which is easier said than done again, but it's it's the it's the intention. I get to go to work, which means I get to earn an income, which means I can provide for me and my family. If you don't have a family, you can provide for yourself. Same thing. It's perspective. It's it's framing things, and that's the same thing about getting rid of baggage. When you can trace the original event and reframe it, that's going to yield a different thought process, which is going to influence the body to create different emotions, which is going to fuel you moving forward in a different manner. New behavior, whether it's a thought or it's a physical behavior, that's going to give you a new result or I like to say a new reality. Reality is subjective. There is no true or false. It is what it is. You see the world differently. Maybe we see it similarly. It could be changed. It's all about reframing. So with the positivity, I mean, you know, I spoke of that too. And it's just the same belief I have around um, perspective. It's what you choose to put into something is what you're going to get from it. Tony Robbins talks about this too. Where your energy or where your, um, where does he say? Where your thoughts go, your energy flows. What you focus on, your energy is going to go there. That's going to give you more of what you're focusing on. So what I've learned to do is just become as aware of myself as I can. The way I'm thinking, the way I'm feeling, the way I'm behaving, those feedback loops of doing and experiencing and what you're telling yourself, getting as as aware of that as you can and then reframing it and catching yourself. If you're thinking like, ah, shit, I'm late for this. That means I'm a fuck up or whatever. Catch yourself. That is the first step. Celebrate that. What do I want to be true? What can I learn from this? What can I do differently next time? Focus on that. It's all about catching yourself, reframing things, and then switching the perspective of what do I want to be true and how can I make that happen? This this hurts. This moment hurts. This experience happened. It's out of my control. You mentioned you know losing people. My life. Like when my mentor took his life, two years later, my younger brother took his life, that fucked me up on so many levels. It challenged every single one of my beliefs. And I couldn't do anything about it, but try to understand and how I could take that information and move forward. I'm getting emotional just talking about it, um, of course. But it it's we can't control things in general, let alone things happening to us. But what we can do is reframe them and choose how we want to move forward. 
What do we want to be true about our lives? Or we're feeling any kind of state, any kind of emotion. Okay, that's fine. Acknowledge what may have been the trigger. You know, I feel depressed because I'm focusing on the job I didn't get, or I got fired, or, you know, maybe I'm, I'm overweight and I'm not happy about it. Cool, that's what you're focusing on. That's what you're going to feel. What do you want to be true? Focus on that. That's where the motivation comes from. It's the inspiration. It's all about directing our focus because where our focus goes, our energy flows. That's the quote from Tony Robbins. Hmm. Yeah, I um man, I I I feel this so deeply. Uh it it's it's something that I've been personally working on because I think it, it kind of extrapolates outward, right? Like if and, and we kind of have like these chicken and egg moments where it's like if your mental health is better, your your health and nutrition overall is gonna be better. If your health and nutrition is better, your your <laughs> your mental health is gonna be better. Like they cut kind of, you feel better about yourself when you're healthy and you're going to be healthier if you feel better about yourself. And, um, and and one of the things that I talked about at the Positive uh, Perspective Summit uh, with Ryan was repetition. And this plays into positivity and mindset, but it also plays into nutrition. Um, and, and I think you were talking about this at the start of the session a little bit, like getting kind of instant results. People always want like instant results as easy as possible. Same thing with positive uh, mindset. There is no way, like you can know today, I know I need to be more positive. That's not going to make you more yeah. positive by default. And as you're saying, using the right language for yourself and kind of catching yourself in those negative moments, if you do that once a day, even if you're negative 25 times, but if you do that once a day, one more time today than you did the day before, you're starting to build a micro habit. And this is what I spoke about, building small and repeatable habits yep. because those habits over time sort of become second nature to us. Mm -hmm. We actually have a lot of habits in our lives, both good and bad. Uh, and, and that usually just comes from repetition and they become just sort of like a part of the mechanics of our lives. And so, no, I, I can't force myself to feel good about my job if I hate it today. In mm -hmm. fact, I may not ever be able to force that. But what you can do is do what you said, find over time little things you can say to yourself to remind yourself that, well, if I do this job, I get to get a paid vacation and I get to go to Cancun or whatever. And you can find like little positive yep. things to get you through it. And those positive seeds kind of grow into bigger uh, plants, so to speak. And um, and I talk about habit forming because I, I think that there's real value um, in building repetition and not in a mundane way because I'm like, if I'm not good at doing things in a boring way, but, uh, in a sense that it, you don't have to think about it anymore. You know, a lot of people try something like keto or whatever it may be that we're talking about, or uh, I don't even care. CrossFit for all I care, whatever we're talking about, they try it. It sucks in the beginning. And then like a week later, they quit two weeks later, they quit. You try keto and you say, I didn't get lose any weight this week. I'm out. It doesn't work for me. Keto sucks, you know, whatever it may be. There, it, There is something much bigger here at play, which is the ability to kind of be patient, be kind and patient and gentle on yourself and on that journey um, because you'll build a habit towards it. Yep. After four to six weeks of eating better, you'll stop thinking about eating better. You know, <laughs> then you can make another change. You can get rid of like, the sugar alcohols or whatever it is that you want to do. You know, I, I don't really care what, nutritionally. Yeah. That's not what this topic is about, but you could start to make these small changes feel into the rhythm of them. So say one nice thing about yourself 
Um, look in the mirror and see one good thing about your body that you like instead of just seeing, say, the belly that you don't like mm -hmm. um, and kind of shift that around. Just little small things that you could do every day do kind of grow and grow and grow little by little. And and I think that's an important thing here. And, and it, it's true with mental health and mindset and perspective. I think it's also true with diet and nutrition. I think the way that they're linked, which sort of is becoming the theme of this conversation, um, is really, really relevant. And building those sort of micro victories every single day is huge. And I don't know if you feel that way, but I think it's like major to just recognize those micro victories. 100%. It's the compound effect. Like it all just adds up. And that's what uh, James makes very clear in Atomic Habits. You know, it's about a majority vote. It's about getting one one step closer each day. And, you know, when we're talking about learning and habit forming, like the young, like all learning is done at the unconscious level. It takes conscious repetition to hardwire that into a habit. And that's formed because the unconscious mind creates these patterns to make our life easier. So we don't have to think it's all about preserving energy. That's what the brain does. It tries to preserve energy. So it, like you mentioned, it could be a good habit, could be a bad habit. It's all the unconscious mind right. developing patterns and routines and habits to use less energy to preserve for other things. And that's what Atomic Habits did so well for me was to put all these things in perspective of practicality of how to break a habit, how to form a habit, and how either one form. It's all done unconsciously. Right. It takes time. Right. And the, the main concept that comes from what you're talking about too with like, it doesn't happen in two weeks. It's like, if people could learn to adopt the concept of delayed gratification, we would be such a better, a better um, society in terms of prosperity, abundance, happiness, fulfillment, passion, inspiration. We wouldn't need more motivation because it takes time. You have to think of all the time that got you to where you are in this moment where you're like, I wanna make a change, but I'm 20 years old, I'm 40 years old, and I want it in two weeks. That doesn't happen. <laughs> you gotta think about all the hard wiring you've done up to this point. And athletes um, or yeah. athletics or any kind of skill, cooking, um, art, uh, whatever it is, like any skill that is acquired over time will teach you that. And that's why I believe it is so important for people to have some kind of skill, whether it's a side hustle, it's a it's a hobby, it's a full-time career, like whatever it is, something that you can progress in because it will teach you the importance of delayed gratification and how that will transcend into your personal life. And that is probably one of my favorite things BMX did for me. It taught me to get up when I fall down, to keep trying because the vision in my mind will happen if I keep going for it and I learn I don't think it's a failure and I, I have that delayed gratification. I didn't, I wasn't aware of this, of course, back then when I was 17, 18 years old trying to land tricks, but now I'm, I'm fully aware of it. And I just try to, like, I shared this with the younger right. kids in BMX, dude, it's all about the vision in your mind, man. That's going to happen one day. You saying that you fucked up, you failed, whatever. It's not, that that's preventing you from getting to where you want to go. And I think that that's, that's a yeah. key delayed gratification and conscious repetition towards what you want to be true. Yeah, I, I love that too. And I'm reminded of where we started this conversation too, of like, you can do, you can have a skill, <laughs> not be the best in the world at it and still get value out of it. So I just want to kind of throw that reminder in there. 100%. Um, I want to, I want to tell a quick story because it was, it was one of the things that I talked about in the Positive Perspective Summit. Uh, there was a study done and now it's been a couple months since I was like, you know, referencing this. Um, but there was a study done where they basically took, um, you know, basically a group of people uh, and put them in a movie theater and half of the group was given hot, fresh, just made popcorn. 
the other half of the theater and they didn't know who was mixed up got like they actually left it out in the laboratory for a week it was stale it was gross <laughs> and uh and they gave that uh, the other half of the of the group in the movie theater the stale popcorn and then after the movie they surveyed this population now this isn't hard science but it's 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 a great story um so what do you think happened so there, there basically came to being two groups of people before walking in that theater group number one had basically said that they well they don't really eat popcorn with movies like they don't whatever they don't really care it's there it's fine whatever group number two are the people who say oh i always have popcorn at the movie theater so the group that does not really see popcorn as a part of a movie experience, when they ate the uh, the good popcorn, they probably ate it. It was there. When they ate the stale popcorn, they didn't end up finishing it. So the group that did not have the habit around popcorn and movies didn't eat the bad popcorn. They were like, this is gross. Why would I eat this? Mm -hmm. The group that had the habit of eating popcorn at the movie theater ate all of the stale popcorn as well as the good popcorn. And in the survey basically said, well, yeah, but that popcorn sucked. But like, you know, at least I had popcorn. And, and, the, and the, the funny part of this is that, and this is dietary, but it's also meant, you know, kind of a habit forming question. The funny part of this is that a lot of times we form these habits from something as a kid, as you were saying, which is tying in what you were saying. But the point is, we don't even know why we do them sometimes. We don't yeah. even know why we've decided, why does popcorn go with a movie? There's no like reason for that. And when we build habits, and sometimes we don't even know why, we're going to find ourselves making bad decisions. If that popcorn is barely edible, why are you wasting your time eating it and getting those wasted calories and carbs? What's the point? It, it, it's only because it's a habit. It's a comfort. It's an emotional response and almost beyond emotional. It's almost a subconscious response rather than taking one second and saying to yourself, wait a minute, if I don't actually like this popcorn, why am I eating it? Which is what the people did who did not have a habit around it. So I think understanding where habits play into our routines, sometimes like I, t I talk about this a lot. The the after dinner, how many people say, oh, I just need a little something sweet. Yep. <laughs> that is like, I hear it constantly. But why? <laughs> because you've been programmed that when you sit at the TV after dinner, you turn on Netflix, you have a little ice cream, you have a little chocolate, whatever it may be. But you're not actually hungry. <laughs> it's just a response that we've built in. And, and this is true in nutrition. It's also really true in some of the wellness stuff that we're talking about. We don't even know why, but there's a lot of times, and I still do this. I walk out of my closet, I walk by the mirror, and I'm like, ugh, you know, kind of roll my eyes at what I see. But, but why? You know, why don't I take a second and think to myself, like, why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> there's a lot of things I should say that are good in the mirror. Like, why am I, like, suffering? for nothing. Um, yeah. And so I, I just wanted to, to kind of like share that little story. And obviously there's people who can better speak to that lab study, but the idea, uh, you know, that, that habits can be just as good as they are bad. And sometimes just taking one 
microsecond, like you said, and just stopping and asking yourself, like, why would I eat the popcorn if it sucks? Uh, figuratively speaking, of course, I yeah. think is a really valuable thing to do. Just pausing and thinking, why am I doing this? Why am I screaming at the car in front of me who cut me off? Wh why? What is that going to do? Um, you know, why am I coming home and dreading my job every single day? Is there something I can do to fix that? Uh, I think it's, it's really, really important work to do. So, um, I really appreciate you bringing up this topic. Yeah, that's a great reference too. that, that movie theater and popcorn study they did. I mean, cause it's just, it, it speaks to belief systems. And I think one empowering question that we can ask when we notice something that we're thinking, feeling, doing, or saying any kind of behavior is where did I learn this? If it's not serving me, where did I learn this? You learned it somewhere. You've seen it. You've yeah. modeled it. And that's the zero to 12 years old. It probably started somewhere in there. Our prefrontal cortex doesn't fully develop to about 25, 26 years old. That's the part res responsible for making meaning and logic and reasoning. You don't have that really when you're 12 years old, you know? So you modeled it somewhere, right. you know? And somewhere along the lines, we, you know, we've learned these traditions that are passed down. Have movie, or have popcorn at the movie, have ice cream after dinner. You know, watch Netflix for three hours after work, you know, have a 12 pack after work, whatever it is, we saw it somewhere. So if you can ask yourself, where'd you learn this? That gets your brain to think. It's the same thing when someone says, you know, like I can't do something. Rather than saying you can, finding a reason for it, ask yourself, how can I? Instead of saying I'm broke, how could I afford it? It gets your brain to open up and it gets you to see things differently. So always asking yourself, when you notice that you're doing something that's not serving your goals or what you say you want to be true, we're gonna learn this. See what comes up. Take take a piece yeah. of paper out and pen pencil. Just write out what or speak it out loud. Record it. See what comes up. You'd be surprised. Yeah, yeah, you're so right. Where did I learn this? And like, is it still applied today? You know, yep. <laughs> was I like the high school football quarterback? No, but does that mean at 33 I can't take a walk outside? Of course not. You know, we make these associations. We make these decisions um, as if they're hard facts and sometimes they're just not and that that's that is this discussion around binary thinking uh, which often leads us into a negative space yeah. uh, there's beauty in the gray area which leads me to bringing up your podcast it's called gray matters it is fantastic i want to give you a moment to talk about uh you and some of the things that you do uh in this community you're, you're coaching you're public speaking um tell us where our listeners can find you both online and offline. So yeah, I, I appreciate that with the, the Gray Matters podcast that uh, that was something Jackie and I decided to do two years ago. We started it together and just we wanted to share about all the gray areas in life because, you know, not everything's black and white and it's a play on words with gray matter, the brain and because we're both you know really passionate about the brain. But it just we wanted to be able to have somewhere we could share and relate to people. Both of us come from very different backgrounds, but very similar human experiences, which at the end of the day, we all have those same human experiences. And we wanted to be Absolutely. an outlet. You know, we wanted to be a voice for people to relate to. We didn't want people to feel isolated or alone or broken or weak or embarrassed with the things that we've gone through and those feelings we felt. So that's where it started. And then as of lately, it's just been a good outlet for me. Um, I do a lot of podcasting on my own or I'll have guests on or like our buddy Mitch, him and I have done some together. And it's just something for me to share what I'm learning, what I'm experiencing, what I'm you know overcoming. Uh, and just have conversations with other people and their ex like I had, like I said, I had Sean on there and we just talked about whatever, you know, that came up that we're passionate about and getting his expertise. So it's just an outlet for me to provide value for people. 
And on that note, yeah, I mean, all my social media and my website's all just Josh Perry BMX. Very, very simple. YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, all that good stuff. But about the podcast, it's The Gray Matters Podcast because there's a ton of like gray matter, the gray matter, gray matters. And it's like all these things. And we were like, <laughs> we really wanted the gray matters podcast. So that's what we put into the actual podcast name, The Gray Matters Podcast. Love that. And and is it um also on YouTube? I, th- I know you have a YouTube channel, but do your yep. podcast do yeah, visual I, I as well? Yeah, I upload the, um, I've been, as of lately, a lot of them, as of lately, I've been doing video. So I'll upload them. But a lot of the earlier ones, we weren't doing video. So um, those are just like a little thumbnail and the audio wave, but they're up there too. <laughs> awesome. And uh, that's all at Josh Perry BMX YouTube, joshperrybmx.com, at Josh Perry BMX. Yep. everywhere you can find him <laughs> if you go to joshperrybmx.com you can find all the other outlets from there um so yeah it's pretty pretty straightforward and the funny story about my my website uh domain name is joshperry.com it was one of those domain um what do they call them? like domain squatters or whatever they bought it 15 yeah. years ago and they want like six grand for it and i'm just like i can't justify six thousand dollars for a url and then all my social media is Josh Perry BMX. And then all the original Josh Perry's are like inactive and won't respond to me. And I'm like, I just keep it all transparent. Just stream, um, streamlined across the board. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. That's why I'm chef dash Michael.com. Cause there's some <laughs> chef Michael out there. <laughs> won't budge. Uh, but no, I, I really appreciate you being on your man. I, I just, I love your vibes. Uh, I look forward to many more phone calls with you and hopefully more episodes as well. Um, if anyone's interested, Josh is just like super open and willing to talk. So um, please feel free to reach out to him. I'm speaking for you, but I, I know that's just the kind of person you are. So uh, reach out to Josh. Definitely check him out on social media. His work is fantastic. There's some awesome videos. And of course, the Gray Matters podcast, anywhere you get your podcast as well. Um, man, Josh, you're awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. I've I've definitely appreciated getting to know one another more, uh, more and more, and to have these conversations. And the last thing I want to say is, it's really simple. You know, when it comes to where you are and where you want to go in life, the only two things preventing you from reaching that point is a belief structure and skills. That's it. That's what everything comes down to. It's what you believe and what you, um, you know, what skills you do or don't have, and those both can be acquired over time. I love that. Well, I'm going to go back, listen to this and take some notes for myself. (laughs) My friend, I really do appreciate it. Uh, Thank you so much to our sponsor, Redmond Salt, for providing support for this podcast. Guys, you know, it is my favorite salt in the game. I really do just use it. I know I sound like a record, but it's just true. That's why I wanted to work with them. So thank you guys so much for supporting the podcast. Go to redmond.life. Uh, to put in your order with the discount code Chef Michael. Join me right after this as I talk on our bonus episode about what Josh and I just talked about, but I'm going to kick him off camera and talk to you alone. So join me after this for the bonus episode, which you can find at patreon.com slash Chef Michael. Hopefully I won't talk too much shit about Josh, but uh, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't say anything bad about you. Uh, and of course, shameless plug, as I always say, get yourself a copy of New Keto Cooking, sold everywhere. Books are sold. If you guys are interested in um, some of my recipes as well as finding me at chef michael um 
underscore keto chef michael keto on instagram i also have tons of recipes there as well um, i'll see you guys on patreon for the bonus episode josh i'll be talking to you very soon and i thank you guys so much for showing up for this episode and i'll see you on the next one guys i hope you are healthier tomorrow than you are today these little steps in this talking about kind of making micro decisions every day to get you just a little bit closer to your health i think really is the key to all of this so uh i hope you learned something today i certainly did and I'll see you on the next episode. Bye.